0: Good morning. I'm Emily Reese, and I'm pleased to have Professor Craig Hedberg here from the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. Good morning. Good morning. So, Professor, please uh, tell us. That we're, we're overwhelmed, I think, many of us can be with the news that's happening. So, uh, first of all, let us know a little bit about you and your work.
1: Well, I'm a, a professor uh, at the University of Minnesota School of Public Health. My training has mostly been in uh, Uh, infectious disease uh, surveillance and control. I spent uh, many years at the Minnesota Department of Health before joining the School of Public Health, Uh, and so uh, what we do here is work with our public health systems to try to uh, help train students to do this type of work and then uh, evaluate the, the work as it goes on. Uh, and support them as best we can.
0: Mm -hmm. We've learned a lot of new words this year. Uh, Novel coronavirus, COVID-19. Can you explain exactly what those terms are? Because they're not interchangeable from what I understand.
1: Well, uh, coronaviruses are uh, a a type of virus. uh, And the corona is really a description of the physical structure of the virus. But they're a, a large group of viruses that that can be uh, spread by uh, animals and, and people, uh, and there are many different uh, types of these viruses. Um, the one that we're particularly concerned about the, uh, the COVID-19, this uh, novel coronavirus, was one that uh, sort of emerged uh, last fall, uh, initially, uh in China and has uh has really spread around the world um viruses uh tend to be very uh specific for the kinds of hosts that they may be able to infect and uh what we saw this past fall and we've seen this in, in, on other occasions as well is that uh a virus that is circulating in an animal population uh, is able to, uh, initially infect, uh, humans and then, uh, the virus develops the ability to spread from person to person. Okay. Uh, th- this is, and, and so COVID 19 is just a way to identify that this was a coronavirus, uh, it, that causes disease. Uh, that emerged in
0: 2019.
1: Okay. So it's just a shorthand way of of identifying this particular virus. But this process of viruses uh, emerging from animal populations to infect humans is one that has been uh, um, studied for uh, a very long period of time and has been a concern for many people And really has been the basis for some global public health and infectious disease tracking efforts uh, for quite some time.
0: So, what have we learned from other countries and hot spots about the rate of transmission here in the U.S., or even specifically here in Minnesota?
1: Right. Well, I think, you know, what we've seen uh, has been uh, fairly widespread. Uh, transmission from person to person and uh, with uh, case rates uh, as the virus emerging doubling on a period of of every week or so. And so, you know, that can start out with uh, relatively small numbers of cases uh, that over a period of weeks to months. Uh, becomes uh, what looks like a very large number of cases. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and so that's what we're starting to see in the United States and starting to see in Minnesota as the number of cases seems like it's uh, every other day uh, jumping by uh, quite large uh, numbers. And that's Mm -hmm. really the basis for the recommendations that have come out now, really to to implement social distancing uh, and to try to interrupt the cycle of transmission from person to person. Most of the people who become infected with uh, this virus are probably going to have a mild illness, and many people may not have any symptoms at all, particularly uh, young people seem to uh, be at lower risk for complications of this. Um, But Uh, elderly people, people with underlying health problems may be at uh, risk for very severe illness uh, that may require hospitalization and intensive care. Mm. And the the whole purpose of the recommendations that have been uh, put into place now are to try to stop transmission among uh, the population at large uh, so that we can protect those people who are at greater risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fear is that if if we don't stop, if we don't slow down the transmission of this virus, that we're going to be flooding our hospitals with uh, with those very serious illnesses mm-hmm. and it will overwhelm the capacity of the hospital systems to uh to be able to provide uh, care for those people, sure,
0: um,
1: and, and so that's why you know we've uh, you know the governor and and has taken the steps uh, of closing schools, uh, you know, shutting down uh, you know restaurants, uh, really trying to uh, keep people at home and avoiding contact with other people so that we can slow down the rate of transmission and and what's really important now that kids uh, are at home uh, from school is that is that we try to uh, limit the number of interactions that that we all have with each other because you know if uh, if I have interactions with a hundred people you know then you know that's a much greater opportunity for virus to spread, in one direction or the other than if I have interactions with only 10 people or, or five people. Wow. Uh, and, and while, you know, there's certainly a, a strong desire for, for kids, uh, to get out there and socialize, uh, yeah. you know, it really is a time that we just need to, uh, to stay home and, uh, uh explore other opportunities, uh, you know, to develop our, our, uh, our minds and, and, and take, uh, take a chance to stop uh, transmission or at least to, to slow it down and, and, and by doing that really create, uh, some space uh, so that we we don't overwhelm our healthcare system.
0: Sure. I've heard uh, conflicting things, uh, Professor Hedberg. I'm speaking with Professor Hedberg from the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. I've heard conflicting things about uh, what to do if you feel symptoms. I, I feel confident that, you know, if you're an individual in a high risk group and you have underlying health conditions and you feel symptoms, maybe you should go get help. But I've also heard that if you're you know, someone in their 30s who's normally healthy and you have symptoms that you shouldn't go anywhere. And you, so I'm, I get confused about what to do if I feel sick compared to what to do if someone who's 70 feels sick.
1: Right. Well, I think that, uh, you know, if, if the symptoms of, of uh, coronavirus, the, the COVID-19 infection, are, are really symptoms of, uh, of a flu-like illness. You have fever, uh, cough. You know, sort of generalized feeling of, of not being well, and, and so that the symptoms aren't very distinctive of COVID nineteen versus influenza versus other respiratory things that may be circulating in the community. Uh, and, and right now, I would recommend that uh, if people you know have fever, they they have cough, certainly they can call their healthcare provider. Um, you know, one of the things that we have really lacked uh, up until uh, this time has been the ability to test people to see who has uh, this virus and who and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. But as test uh, availability increases, uh, it, it really could be useful to know, you know, just who is infected. So uh, I would recommend that you contact your healthcare provider. Uh, and find out uh, about the availability of being tested, because uh, one of the uh, one of the tools that we have to really fight this virus is to be able to track where it is better uh, and and if we know exactly where the virus is being transmitted, uh, you know then all of our public health recommendations can be more effective
0: okay sure um uh, Professor Hedberg, would you mind staying on the line through this traffic report? I have a couple of other questions for you, and I'd really like to ask those. Is that all right if we sure, just put would, you on hold? That,
1: that would be fine.
0: All right. Wonderful. We'll be back with Professor Hedberg. He's from the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. Good morning. I'm Emily Reese, and I have on the line Professor Craig Hedberg from the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. He's been uh, talking to us about coronavirus and COVID-19 News and best practices, and Professor Hedberg, I'd I'd like to ask you a little bit about what goes into creating a vaccine, because uh, again, a very long process because it's such a serious issue. So, can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Uh, well, you know, everybody uh, would love to see a vaccine developed because that that gives us the ability to prevent the uh, infection from occurring if you happen to be exposed to it, but Uh, developing a vaccine can be very, uh, it's a very time-consuming process. First, you have to be able to uh, really isolate and and characterize the virus and be able to, uh, you know, grow enough of the virus to uh, be able to to work with it in the laboratory. Um, And then once you have uh, basically the the mechanics of working with the virus worked out. We have to have a system in place to ensure that the virus is, the vaccine is safe, that, that we don't actually hurt people, uh, by administering the vaccine. Uh, and, and that's a, a process whereby the, the vaccine as it gets developed, uh, is administered to a small number of people just to make sure that there aren't any uh, unexpected reactions to the vaccine. Mm. Uh, and, and that has actually started now with uh, with uh, the first of these vaccines uh, in the United States that are in development. Uh, and then once, uh, once there's some assurance that there is uh, a, a preliminary level of safety, then additional trials in a larger number of people can be, uh, can be held to try to uh, you know, verify that the vaccine is safe. And then we have to be able to demonstrate that the vaccine is effective uh, and that it protects uh, you against uh, virus infection. And those studies uh, really tend to be bigger. Uh, they take longer. Uh, they have to be done in settings where there is some uh, virus transmission going on, uh, and they're 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 complicated to set up. But it's really important that we go through the process of making sure that the vaccine is safe and effective because we're investing a lot of resources in, in this public health intervention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if the intervention uh, doesn't work or, or causes harm, then you know that sets us back if we rush into it too quickly. Uh, for one thing, if you have a vaccine that uh, becomes available, people might start relaxing some of the other measures that they have in place because they think the vaccine will protect them. If the vaccine doesn't work, uh, you know, then then we can't really afford to let down our guard uh, with these other measures that we're taking
0: place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, a very time-consuming process indeed to get that uh, formula just right—safety and effectiveness. Um, sure. Professor Hedberg, uh, can you talk a little bit about? how, this? I don't mean to jump all over the place, but in terms of how long the virus can live on a surface. Do we know that yet?
1: Well, uh, the the issue of how long the virus can live on a surface uh, is, is complicated. First of all, viruses actually aren't living in, in the common way that we think of uh, animals being alive. Viruses are Uh, little protein shells that have uh, nucleic acid, the the genetic material inside. Uh, And a lot of viruses may be able to sit on a surface for uh, a prolonged period of time. And then if somebody happens to pick up that virus and it gets into into a place where it can infect them, it, it might be something that uh, can cause infection but mm-hmm. this is this virus the surfaces are really not the primary way that this virus is being transmitted and right. so if I have a if I have a virus that's sitting on a on a hard surface uh, depending on um, you know if it's uh, exposed to sunlight if it's exposed to uh, other environmental conditions it may be able to persist for several days uh, or uh, longer, but but then you have to think about how is that virus actually getting from that surface uh, into uh, a space where it can uh, infect me, mm-hmm. uh, and and so the you know I, I think viruses are uh, surfaces are, are really a, a secondary route of transmission you know, if there are uh, high contact services like doorknobs and and other things that people are routinely touching, you know, we do recommend that these be, you know, frequently, uh, you know, sort of cleaned and sanitized. But uh, in general, you know, the the greater concern we have is for uh, people breathing the virus in, uh, you know, direct interaction with people or being in a, an environment where there are a lot of other people you know, that, that virus that we pump into the air around us is is really where most of the transmission is going to be coming from.
0: Okay. Professor Craig Hedberg, is there anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye today?
1: No, I think, you know, this is one of those times where, uh, you know, people just have to be patient and, and try to uh follow guidelines it's uh the guidelines are changing rapidly and that sometimes can really appear like uh you know everything is just in chaos but uh, there really is a foundation for the recommendations that are being made that they're changing quickly because the situation is changing quickly we're we're learning more about this virus every day The, the 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 situation that we're responding to is changing every day. And people really need to, to follow the guideline of our public health officials who, uh, who are really working very hard to try to reduce the, the overall burden of illness in the population.
0: Professor Craig Hedberg uh, from the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota, so grateful for your time this morning and uh, be well.
1: Thank you. And wash your hands.
0: Wash your hands, indeed.